one discipleship class. Um, I just want to give God the glory because um, um, I met, God has led me to this woman and he came to know the Lord and accept. He was, she was very, very sick. And then I just had this call that nobody wants to work with her because she's so mean and rude to everybody else. So when I came there, I found her and like, she really is. And, and I feel like, you know what? If you're not going to repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will go to hell. Like, what? Are you kidding me? I'm afraid that she's going to call the guard and, you know. But you know what? She's, she cried and cried and she was so broken. And she said, I don't have trust to anybody. She is one of the owner of the big um, condominium downtown. And when you get into her house, she, every piece of her house is a million worth. But she has nobody. She has no more family. And she thinks that everybody just wants her money. But God, sometimes um, amazing that the word of God used, like I feel like unlikely and qualified to do the job. I mean, to talk to her like that but she is and I don't think and I was thinking she will not allow me to come back but she did call me yesterday she wants me to come back and I thank God that God sometimes put us into a place where you cannot understand and then put us give us favor because of her name because of Jesus he gave us the influence and the power and the, the favor that we cannot imagine so I thank God, and I shared to her about the rich guy, a rich man, the Bible, and then about the kingdom of God. And she really wants more of the gospel of God. So let's pray for her that God will glorify and that all her stuff will go to MPI. <laughs> I was just praying like, oh, my God, this is, because she's nobody, you know. But maybe God has put us there for a really big reason. I want God to glorify God, what he has done in our lives. God, we thank you because you put us in a place where we cannot imagine. You put us into a place and a people that God, you put us influence because of your name. We want to glorify you and lift you up. And this morning, we want to give our worship, all our adoration and love for you. You, we give all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. you with the fullness of our hearts oh father god in joy and gladness because we're in your presence come on come on up come on up there you go come on we're full of joy this morning jesus come on help us sing this sing i've got a river
on, just close our eyes right now and say that again. We're falling. Just raise our hands to him and say. you the center. We make you our focus, God, not just of today, Lord, but of our lives, Lord. Take control, Jesus. Have your way, Lord God, today and always, because we put you first, Lord. Come on, sing this song with us. Say, Jesus, at the center of it all.
I got a word for somebody this morning. It was easy for you to give me the heartaches of your heart. It was easy for you to give me your pain, to give me your sorrow, to give me your sin. But it's hard for you to give me the things that you love. What is so precious that you would hold it back from me? That your hands would be so tight-fisted with the things that you adore. Shouldn't you give me those things that I might bless it? Holy surrender to me. Even the things you value and treasure. For I am the giver of good gifts. And my desire is to bless you.
Father, all across this room, Lord, you look around in this place, God, and you search the hearts and the thoughts of man, God. Lord, and you meet us all where we're at, Father. Lord, you know, God, every situation, God. You know every need, God, in this place. And Lord, I just pray that all across this room, God, you would meet every need, God. Lord, that you would meet every need. Lord, some of us in this room, Lord, need financial breakthrough. 
Some of us in this room, God, need a healing, God. Some of us in this room need lost family members to be saved, God. Some of us in this room need breakthrough, Jesus. But God, you meet those needs. God, you are personal and you meet us where we are. If you in this room need a touch of God, just raise your hand. If you in this room need God to break through, if you in this room need God, he will meet you where you are. God, we will follow you. We pursue you, God. We seek you right now in this place, God. We seek you. God, we follow you, God. Though none go with me, though none have hope for me, though none have hope for things to be done, God, I will follow you. I will come to you because you are the giver of all good things. You, God, are the giver of every good thing, God. All good comes from you and only you, Lord. God, we follow you. God, we thank you in this place. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and your presence, God, in our life. God, we thank you. We thank you for moving and for speaking to us this morning. And if you believe what we just prayed, and if you believe in an almighty God, I encourage you to give him a hand cap of praise this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. Glory be your name. And if you all will with me, go ahead and find your seats this morning. Want to take some time very quickly to dismiss our King's Kids children. You are dismissed. You can go to your classes this morning. Praise God. And if you are new this morning to Metro Praise, I just want to give you a hand clap of praise. I want to thank you for coming out this morning to be with us. My name is Leilani. I am one of the uh, pastors here at Metro Praise, and I just want to thank you for joining us today. Amen. And as you all settle in, I am going to preach the gospel to you this morning. I am going to share a word with you this morning, and if you guys with me would like to turn there, the scripture will be up on the screen, but you are more than welcome to turn there with your Bibles. Amen. You guys can open up to your Bibles. Thank you. The scripture this morning is Romans chapter 10, reading in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is plain and simple. We read that and we understand. If you declare, if you speak with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you, you will be saved. See, every person in this room, okay, needs a Savior. And you wonder, well, what does it mean here that you will be saved? Saved from what? What is it that I, I have to be saved from? This morning, I want to share with you, if you have not heard, that there is a heaven and a hell. 
And Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to save each and every one of us. But it is a decision that we have to make. We have to declare with our mouth that we believe in Jesus and his work on that cross. That we believe that there is a heaven and a hell. And that if we don't make that choice to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus this morning, we may face the honest truth of where we may spend eternity. And I know that I myself want to spend it in heaven with my Lord and Savior. And so this morning, if you do not know Jesus, I beckon you to accept him. Repent of your sins. Get rid of the garbage. Get rid of the junk. Confess it to Jesus today. Get right before God. Give your life to him. Amen. And if you don't know what that is, we're going to have some people up here. If I can have Berto and Griselda come up. They're going to pray with you to accept Jesus. And they can share with you the 101, what we believe, you know, follows being saved, discipleship, learning how to live your life for Jesus. And they can share that with you. Amen. So if you all would just stand with me, I want to pray for everyone this morning. If you know in your heart that you need Jesus, you don't have to raise your hand, but just close your eyes with me this morning. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. God, I thank you for every heart in this place. Lord, I pray, God, that if there are those in this room who do not have a personal relationship with you, I pray that they would repent of their sins and that they would get right before you, Lord. God, all you desire is an intimate relationship with us, God. You love us and you care about every need, God. So I pray, God, for every person. I pray, Lord, right now that you would meet them where they are. God, I pray that you would have your way in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. And now, guys, when, when this is all said and done, you guys are welcome to come up and pray to Berto and Griselda. But right now, what we are going to do is we are going to confess our confession of faith. This is what we as believers believe in, what we hold is truth. And so if you with me would say this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the, oh, in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Praise God. If you guys need prayer, come up. Get prayer. If not, fellowship with everyone. Say hi to your neighbor.
Good morning and welcome to Metro Praise Church. Please find your seats. It's so good to have you all here with us this morning. Good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Are you guys excited to be in the house of God? If this is your first time here, please raise your hand. We want to just take some time to welcome you here. If you have not already received one of these cards, please leave your hand raised. One of our ushers will bring you one to give you some information about who we are. Here at MPI Church, we have two main services. Sundays at 10 a.m. is our family service. Fridays at 7 p.m., ages from 11 to 18. Elevate. Elevate. Amen. And here at MPI, we got a vision. Somebody say vision. We're loving God and loving people. The two greatest commands God has given us. And we're doing a pretty good job, right? We're not perfect, but we're striving to love like God loves, right? And we have a discipleship strategy, which is connect, mentor, and send. We want to make sure that you guys get connected to Jesus. It's all about him, that he is Lord and Savior of your life. And that you get connected to a life group. Somebody say life group. Life groups are places where we share life. And as you're getting your announcements right now, please turn and look on the back of your announcements. You're going to see a complete list of life groups, places, different things, different activities, something for marriages, single people, single men, single women. We have something for our children, for you to get connected. So please choose one and find a place this month where you can get connected to the church. So here's what's going on this week. Today, Sunday, uh, at 12.30 p.m., we have the worship team happening right here at the church. Come on, raising up some worship leaders. And it is for people who are in 201, elders or deacons. And so talk to Ishmael if you want more information about that. And also tonight, we got the single moms group happening at 5 p.m. with Pastor Lauren. Child care is provided. The married group is having a potluck. You guys can go eat your heart out there with your with your husband and your wife at 5 p.m. Wednesdays we have King's Kids from infant all the way to 11 years of age. Come on, King's Kids. It's a program for our children. It's really raising up raising them up to be disciples even even at a young age and that happens Wednesdays at 6:30 p.m. Friday adult Bible study at my house. Child care is provided at 7 p.m. Come on, we're going to take that community for Jesus. So please come join us every Friday at 7 p.m. And then Saturday evangelism, bringing out the word of God to the streets of Chicago. So please find a place, get connected. And then as you get connected, please get mentored. Somebody say mentored. It's the second part of our discipleship strategy. You go through a one-on-one -on -one discipleship class here with an elder or a deacon at the church. Somebody wants to take you under their wing and show you how, what it means to live for Jesus Christ. And after the one-on-one, -on -one, you go on to the two-on-one class, disciples making disciples, because the last part is sending out. God wants to use you, send you out into the world to bring the gospel. Amen. And we got a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. Come on, if you believe God can do it, say amen. 
Amen. I also have a quick announcement. We have coming up soon the All Nations Dinner, October 5th, Sunday after service. We're celebrating just all the diversity that we have here in this church. We got people from Puerto Rico, Honduras. Come on. We got some German brothers and sisters in this place. Irish brothers. No, no, right there. We got one. We got so many, so many different nationalities, so many ethnicities here in this, and we just want to celebrate, and we want to share life with you. So put that in your calendar, October 5th. Bring a dish that represents where you're from. Talk to myself, talk to Pastor Susie. We're just wanting to put this together so we can be a blessing to one another. And bring out your family members and friends, amen? And now it's time to prepare to give our tithes and offerings. If you guys want... Please turn with me in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. Matthew 25, 16, and 17. I'm reading out of the Disciples Giving Book. You can find it on our website, or you can go to givingbook.org. We are in lesson number 10, and we're talking about stewardship. Stewardship is a good word. Somebody say stewardship. What does it mean? It means it's the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with wise management, being responsible. And today's lesson is called Stewards Are Multipliers. Stewards Are Multipliers. So if you're with me in Matthew 25, 16, and 17, let's read. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Amen. Say multiplying. If you are a disciple in this room and you are a good steward of what God has given you, you're not going to bury what God has given you. You're going to multiply it. And at once, you're going to put it to work. If you're a believer, you're a born-again believer, at once you get to work, right? You guys ever experienced that? The moment you became born again, at once you say, God, put me to work. God, I want to work for your kingdom. I want to go out discipling. I want to tithe. You know, I wasn't a believer in tithing, but when I got saved, I didn't doubt it. Because at once, I wanted to put the resources God gave me to work. And so here are the points to this passage. Number one, it says he put his money to work. Jesus wasn't a socialist that taught against a private ownership or personal success. Rather, he promoted the principles of capitalism. That's a good one. By teaching parables that exemplified individual prosperity and personal gain. His application was simple. If people use their talents and work hard for personal gain, how much should his disciples work hard and use their talents for kingdom success? It's all about what you do in your work. It's not about just your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, your pastors putting their stuff to work, their resources to work. God is going to judge you on what you did with your own resources and how you put them to work. God has given each of us talents, each of us, you know, as we're talking about finances, he's giving you finances. That is a tool in your hand, and you have to put it to work. And as you put it to work, you're going to reap all the goodness that comes from that. Number two, it says gained two more. Honestly, evaluate your life and ask yourself, have I used my talents and abilities to gain success to help, the support, to help support the kingdom of God? So ask yourself that question. Have I used my talents and abilities to gain success, to help support the kingdom of God? Have you used your time to support the kingdom of God? Have you used your, your many talents? Have you used your finances? Have you used your home, your car, your, your ears, your mouth to speak, all of that good stuff? Have you used it to advance the kingdom of God? Or have you kept it all to yourself? 
It's a good question. Maybe write that down and in time of prayer and devotion, maybe meditate on that and say, God, forgive me if I haven't done so already, but I want to use my talents and everything you've given me for your kingdom. And number three, are you a multiplier? Have you been successful at working hard on your job, using your talents to gain income? Have you been faithful then to give your best back to God? God has called you to be blessed to be a blessing. Amen? God hasn't called you to be cursed. Some people have the mentality, hey, God just has me here and you know, I'm just struggling and I'm just barely making it. No, God has called you to be a blessing. For you to be blessed, to be a blessing to others. God takes honors when you are blessed. You know why? Because it gives him glory. When you succeed, it gives him glory. When you're cursed, it doesn't. Yeah, he wants to push you along and he wants to encourage you and he wants to clean you and set you on the right path. But when you're blessed to be a blessing to others, it gives him glory. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. In summary, be a multiplier of God's gifts and talents in all that you do. Number one, how do you apply this to your life? Be, a, be faithful in giving your tithes 10% of your total income and offering anything that you give after that. Here at Metro Praise, when you give your tithes and offerings, it goes to the general fund. Anything that you give after that becomes an offering. And right now for offering, we are taking up money for our mission trip that we're taking next year, sometime in the summer. And we're going to the Philippines and we're going to go impact people's lives. We're not keeping it to ourselves. We could say, hey, just bless Metro Praise. No. We want to say bless what we're doing here so we can go bless other nations. Amen. So give. Circle on your envelope. Missions if you want to give towards that. Number two, ask God to empower you to multiply and succeed at all that you do. And three, live by the principle, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Somebody say, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Amen. And let's recite this over ourselves as we are good stewards together. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and our grandchildren. Amen. And once again, we got the screen right here. 10% of your, of your total income is your tithe. Anything you give after that becomes your offering. And let's recite this scripture together. Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every blessing in this room. God, we thank you that we have roofs over our heads. We have food on the table, dear God. We are blessed more than we know it. I pray, Father, that we would all just take a moment to think about every single blessing we have, dear God. We have health. We have the ability to talk, to walk, to work, dear God, to maintain a job. Father, we thank you for those blessings. And I just pray all across this room that we would be good stewards, responsible, dear God, with each and every talent and resource you've ever given us. Because one day we will stand before you and we want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we thank you for all the givers. We pray for blessings upon your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your giving and come up as you do.
Come on, let's give it up for Hot Topics. You guys excited? Awesome. We got some great special guests today because today's lesson is on drugs and addiction. How many ready to throw away the crack? Come on. How many ready to throw away the marijuana? How many ready to throw away the caffeine? Oh, got you on that one. Gotcha on that one. We're going to talk about that. It's going to be great. But we got special guests, a drug and alcohol program that started in the mid-40s, I believe, with David Wilkerson in New York, an awesome program, Teen Challenge. They're with us today. So I want you guys to give them a big hand clap as our brother comes. Justin, come on up here. Steve, no, Kevin. Let's <laughs> Let's give it up for Kevin, Team Challenge. Good morning, good morning, good morning. God is good, God is good. <clears throat> All the time? Amen. Well, um, I really appreciate Pastor Joe letting us come out here. Uh, these, are a group. these are some of the guys from Team Challenge. Um, I'm, my name is Justin, a.k.a. Kevin. Uh, so uh, thank you, Pastor Joe, and I thank you, Brother uh, Jared, for letting us come out here. Uh, we have a few testimonies that we would like to share with y'all, and uh, yeah, some pretty good testimonies at that. Um, one about made me tear up last night. It was it was pretty good. Um, so, as you all know, Teen Challenge is a discipleship program. It's 14 months long, and uh, four months here in Chicago, and then 10 months either in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, or Raresburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a young man that's fixing to graduate first phase. His name is Justin. He's sitting right here in the middle. So uh, I'm really, really proud of that young man. He's really come a long way. Um, so basically our day-to-day -day schedule is, you know, is wake up at 7 most of the time uh, during the weekdays. And, you know, they, they have everything from Bible school to, you know, the gym to, uh, you know, everything from recreational time, too. Um, I have a short presentation DVD that's going to explain a little bit more about the program than uh, if our sound man could play that for us. Thank you. The slogan wasn't those... So I said, God, if you're real. Give me a new mind. Give me a new heart. It was like I could feel something like scrubbing me from the inside out. It's the Holy Spirit that is working within your life. When you rescue somebody and their lives are dramatically changed, how can you argue with that? There's miracles taking place. It's the only other way to say it. There's miracles happening. We've heard mothers say, I have my son back. I have my daughter back. We believe that Jesus Christ is the answer and the cure for people's life-controlling issues. Teen Challenge, 50 years of miracles. Hope lives here, freedom is found here, and changed lives leave here. If you or anyone you know would like to donate or needs help, please call us now at 773-772-2211. That was that was about half of it. I don't, I don't know what happened at the beginning. I guess some of it cut out. Uh, Say what? 
it skipped like half of it, so. The slogan was in those days. Starts like 23 seconds. There it goes. slogan was in those days once a junkie always a drug addict the only way out is through death or life in prison we've had a 40 year war against drugs and drugs has been winning after you listen to a lie for a long time you begin to believe the lie and then you actually become the lie the only way to to live a little longer in this life become an animal I walked out in front of the bus. I just helped kill my, my brother. Before I knew it, I was strung out on heroin. I just can't take it. I, I, I need a fix. I was convinced I was going to die before I got 20 years old. I pulled out the knife. I didn't even think twice. Look in his eyes and see just death. I was sleeping in subway stations. You never knew who was going to come back alive. You just spiral down so fast. Sometimes you don't care if you live or die. Only God can do this. And they got down on their knees and prayed. And so I said, God, if you're real. Give me a new mind. Give me a new heart. It was like I could feel something like scrubbing me from the inside out. It's the Holy Spirit that is working within your life. When you rescue somebody and their lives are dramatic change, how can you argue with that? There's miracles taking place. It's the only other way to say it. There's miracles happening. We've heard mothers say, I have my son back. I have my daughter back. We believe that Jesus Christ is the answer and the cure for people's life-controlling issues. Teen Challenge, 50 years of miracles. Hope lives here, freedom is found here, and changed lives leave here. If you or anyone you know would like to donate or needs help, please call us now at 773-772-2211. Amen, amen. So some of those guys that you've seen there, the uh, elder gentleman, that was David Wilkerson. He recently passed away. He got in a car wreck. We believe it was from a heart attack. They said he slumped over in the driver's seat and collided with another car. So it's, it was really, really sad to see him go. Uh, he was really, really a great man of God and built this whole program of what it is now. And uh, it's kind of honoring to be doing what he once did. So it's yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. So we have a gentleman uh, by the name of Nathan. He, uh, he has been in the program for about a month now. And I've just I've seen God just totally come into his life and, and change the way he thinks, the way he talks, the way he walks. It's just it's, it's amazing. You know, it's 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 not really teen challenge. It's what God does in that young man's life. Why is it teen challenge? So, if Brother Jason would come up here, he's gonna give you a little brief testimony. Hi, everybody. My name is Nathan Jason. Uh, I'm 26 years old. Uh, I grew up on the South Side, uh, next to Midway Airport. Um, I grew up in a Christian household. My father was a Christian, and he set rules in the house. 
Uh, and of course, I didn't like those rules. So I hung around with all the neighborhood kids, got into drugs and alcohol at around 13 years old, and uh, didn't want to be in my house. I wanted to do my own thing and, and do what I want. So hung around with all the neighborhood kids and just uh, progressively got worse. Um, my, mo uh, my mother killed herself at, uh, when I was 16 years old, and uh, I felt like you know I didn't want to be part of the family, so I pushed myself out even more. And uh, my father, out of his love, uh, kicked me out of the house. He said, you, you can't bring drugs and alcohol into my house. I love you, but I'm not going to tolerate the sin that you're living in. So I had gotten a, a, a good job. I went to school, and I got a good job. And uh, I couldn't hold jobs down because, of course, I liked drugs and alcohol too much. I wanted to do my own thing. So I decided that uh, the lifestyle I was living wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, so I joined the military. I joined the Army uh, when I was 21. And uh, as soon as I got into the Army, I found groups of friends that uh, I used to hang around with that like drinking and partying and going to the bars and everything like that. So I consumed myself with my friends uh, in that area again and kept on drinking and kept on uh, sneaking around and, and scheming, you know. So um, I had gotten out of the military after serving two wars. and. Uh, I came back here to Chicago and met up with my same old friends, seen them in the same spots. You know, they're holding down jobs, but they're still drinking every day and talking like sailors, and, uh, you know, they didn't have Jesus Christ in their lives. So uh, I came back here, and I started doing drugs again, and I realized that this is not what I want to do, but there's nothing else that I know. And this is, this is my temporary uh, fix. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll worry about tomorrow tomorrow. This is what I want today. So uh, I, I fell into a deep depression. I, I started secluding myself from my friends and, and started using all by myself. Um, till one night, a, an overwhelming sensation hit me, and I, I realized that I needed to confess to my family because my family didn't know about my addictions. So uh, I had went up to my sister, and I was just going to uh, kind of tell her, hey, you know, how do I quit smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol? You know, I got a little bit of a problem. But uh, somehow Jesus Christ had just broken my broken that chain that I had, the, my restriction, and, and, and my heart poured out to her. I, said, I broke down, I cried, I said, I have these addictions that I can't stop, I don't know what's wrong, I can't help myself, and, and she, she said straight out, you need Jesus in your life, you know that, you know, you, you know about Jesus, you've turned your back on him, and you've let yourself fill this uh, hole in your heart with drugs and alcohol, and so from there on, I said, you know what, I haven't been making the right choices, I'm going to let you make a choice for me, and she said, teen challenge. So uh, I went to Teen Challenge, um, and instantly, God, God has his, his ways, and he's got his hands in Teen Challenge, and uh, uh, instantly, the scales fell from my eyes, I knew what I had to do, um, and ultimately, I put my trust in the Lord, and he's been working in my life ever since, been working in me, so praise God. Thank you, Brother Nathan, thank you, thank you. <coughs> He's, he's really working on Brother Nathan. Uh, me and Nathan, uh, I took the gas to the, to the park the other day, and we, uh, he's got some skateboarding skills in him. He's, pre he's pretty good. So um, we have another young man by the name of Adam. Uh, he's uh, about three and a half months into the program, so he's almost done with first phase. And I've really, really seen God change his life. He, uh, I think he came here from, from jail. And uh, God has really, really done some amazing things in his life. So he's going to talk to you about it. Good morning. Um, I'm just going to kind of just read it off. I'm not too good in front of 
crowds, so excuse me. Uh, like many people, I grew up in a home that my parents were divorced, drugs and alcohol were a norm, and in my life was really in the hands of the world. My life would consist of everything but God and spiritual matters. I started experimenting with cigarettes and alcohol at a very young age, uh, from eight to nine. Uh, I later started smoking pot from 12 to 13. And by the age 15, I was eating shrooms and selling cocaine. My life was one big party, and at times I'd be forced into rehabs, jails, and even seeing psychologists, psychiatrists. The world, what the world has to offer never, never helped. My older brother, Tony, and I had been best friends growing up. He was two years older than I was. But by the time uh, we were in our early 20s, we moved in together. We were both deep in our addictions, and we decided to try heroin for pretty much the first time. Uh, we started using needles, mainly out of curiosity. You know, we, we used to listen to like Nirvana and Pink Floyd and that type of music, and that was like a big you know, background in that type of lifestyle. So we were just curious. Uh, one night we went to cop, and both of us were un unsuccessful. So on the way back home, we started, we started to, uh, or on the way back home, within a few seconds, my life changed forever. I was T-boned by an SUV. My brother was in the passenger seat while I was the driver. We were hit so hard on the one side that we spun around a 360 and the other vehicle flipped on its roof and slid. Um, the other guy was fine, but as for me and my brother, that wasn't the case. My brother died on impact. I woke up in the hospital with tubes down my throat. I was unable to move or speak. After many months of getting better physically, my soul felt dead. From that point, I lost my family, my friends, everybody shunned me because they blamed me for that the accident. Um, I spent much of my time really just numbing the pain, trying to get through it. I got real deep into using heroin, um, got to the point where I had to rob restaurants and people in order to support my habit. I ended up getting arrested and convicted and sentenced to seven years in prison. Uh, last year in February, I just got out, so I'm on parole now. Um, at that point, I thought it was my rock bottom, but as I sat in, in the county jail, uh, dope sick, trying to, trying to uh, figure out what, it, what my next move was in life, I finally just gave up and I threw my hands up and I, I cried out to God. I said, if, you, if you're real, I want you. And at, at that moment, I was filled with warmth. It was such a, it almost seemed like God wrapped his arms around me. And my dope sickness went away. Hallelujah. In that instant, that was a miracle, truly a miracle. From then on, I spent three and a half years in prison doing nothing but reading the Bible, getting closer to God. And I did well. I got out. I got a real good job. God blessed me above and beyond what I can even imagine. And then uh, 
within six months after getting out, I was successful. I had a real good job and uh, my own house, vehicle. I got involved with a girl that was actually an ex-addict herself and not to switch blame, but it seems as soon as she came in the house with some stuff, I, you know, I didn't think twice of it. I went back to it. So after all that God did for me, I turned my back on him. It wasn't that he turned his back on me. Then I spent another six months uh, using. And in that time, I ended up overdosing. Woke up in the ambulance. They had to revive me. Um, almost got thrown back into prison, but they decided to just give me a house arrest and give me the opportunity to come here to Chicago for Teen Challenge. Um, I seriously was wanting to quit but I was so bound in the addiction, I just couldn't do it physically. I just couldn't do it. So, uh, you know, I, had, I needed a long-term program. So, you know, I thank God for Teen Challenge. Uh, that's all I got. Thanks. Thank you, Brother Adam. I'll tell you what, it's quite a testimony. Um, uh, about 30% of the guys that come through the program they uh they were raised in churches and stuff like that. So Satan's not he's not just working on the outside. He's working inside the Christian homes too. You know, we st we still have our flaws and we really really have to strive to get that relationship with Jesus Christ to know whenever Satan is coming at us. You know, I, I came through the program. I came through South Carolina's induction and then I went over to Pennsylvania for second phase and we still have our flaws even as staff members. You know, we're not perfect or anything like that. God is still working in my life through these guys, through these testimonies, and what these guys talk about with me daily is, is changing my life. Um, so, Pastor Joe, that's about all we have. Uh, we appreciate you letting us come out and share a little bit about our program with us. So. And uh, don't forget, my name is Justin. Justin, would you just stay up here with us? You know... I believe as a church, we need to sow financially into this ministry. Amen. We need to support what they're doing. And so we're going to ask that the offering buckets would come back up and give you guys some envelopes right now. You know, we never take up second offerings for our church. We never do that. That's not our heart. Thank you for what you gave earlier. This today is going to go directly to Teen Challenge. So I'm going to ask you that you would make it out to Metro Praise but that you would trust us to give it to Teen Challenge. My goal is $500. How many believe we could give $500 to Teen Challenge today? Amen. Not only to help what they're doing here in Chicago, but around the world. Listen, it's the best drug and alcohol rehab in the world. 80% success rate. They have a men's program here in the city. They have a women's program out in the uh, southern part of Illinois. And here's how we could do it. It's, that, it's this, this simple. If 20 people gave $25, there's 500 right there. If 20 people gave how much? $25. If 25 people gave what? $20, there's $500. If 100 people gave what? $5. Okay, can you all give something to Teen Challenge today? 
We're going to pray for them. Father, I thank you so much for Teen Challenge. I thank you, God, that it's touched people that I know and love. My best friend from Bible College, Juan Gonzalez, was a Teen Challenge graduate, God. And today he's pastoring with six kids in Houston, Texas, Lord, an awesome church. And his life has touched so many people. And I thank you, Lord, for heroes of mine like Steve Hill, Lord, who came through Teen Challenge and many, many other people that have impacted my life in this church and Lord, now we want to support them. We want to do our best, God. We want to sacrifice Starbucks, McDonald's. Uh, God, we want to give out of our heart of sacrifice to, su to support them. And we pray you bless the Chicago Teen Challenge. We pray you bless the Illinois Teen Challenge, the United States Regional Teen Challenge, and teen challenges around the world that bring in those who struggle with addictions, Lord. We thank you for them, and we rebuke the devourer. We rebuke you Satan over the lives of the people they're ministering to. You cannot have them. They belong to Jesus. The drug addict, the alcoholic belongs to Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he is Lord over their lives right now. And Lord, I thank you for everyone that gives and I pray you bless this church and the families and the individuals who support such an awesome cause. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can we all stand up together? We're going to put on some party music, and we're going to give on the count of three. Everybody ready? One, two, three. Let's give to Teen Challenge. Come up as you give. Oh, bro, thank you for that. We needed that. We needed that. And it's Kevin, right? Yeah, Kevin. Okay, thank you. And we're going to pray. I forgot me the guy's laughing a little bit, so. Yes, thank you. Justin, Amen. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that's giving. It's so awesome to see you do this. Come on. You can give online, just mark Teen Challenge. Those who go through Chase, PayPal, just mark Teen Challenge, and it will go to them. Thank you. Come on. I'm all excited. Good testimony. How many love Jesus? Amen. I'm so happy that you're in church. If you're giving, keep giving. Otherwise, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. If you want to give on the way out, we got drop boxes. Like I said, just put Teen Challenge on there, and we'll make sure we get it. Now, as you open up your book, uh, your Bible rather, to Proverbs, I want you to, Proverbs chapter 5, uh, 25, verse 28, Proverbs 25, verse 28, I want you to ask yourself this question, when was the last time you heard a message on drugs and addictions? Come on, think about that. When was the last time you were in a church service like this and you heard a message about drugs and addictions? Come on, most people have never heard a message on this subject. Now ask yourself this question, how many people do you know have a drug, alcohol, cigarette, a pain pill addiction? You all at least know somebody. Some of you know two, three, four, five, six, seven people. Depends how many you're hanging out with, 20. I want you to know today that no matter who you know that's on drugs, guess what? Jesus has an answer for them. I want to tell you, no matter who you know that's dealing with alcohol, Jesus has an answer for them. Guess what? Jesus can set a smoker free right now. 
any addiction, pain pills, Jesus can set you free right now. I was set free from drugs and alcohol, not 12 steps, one steps to Jesus Christ. It's been almost 20 years today. And there ain't no high like the most high. I'm hooked on Jesus, baby. I am hooked on Jesus. And so I want to, uh, to speak to two different kinds of people today. Number one, those that have the problems, let us preach and pray for you today and let Jesus set you free. Amen? I don't care who you came here with. If you feel you'll be embarrassed, you could be, listen, you could be a mother living in the suburbs addicted to pain pills. That is a new hot drug commodity right now, a drug market. You could be that way, and you might think you'll embarrass yourself in front of your husband, your kids. I don't care. I want you to come today and get prayer. At the same time, you could just be a dude sitting back smoking weed, listening to a Bugs, a Bones Thugs in Harmony or Little Wayne, whatever's popular now. You know, I want you to come forward and get free. So I'm talking anybody today that needs to get free, alcoholics, drug addicts, addicted to nicotine, today's message is for you. And then number two, for all of you who would say, Pastor, you know, I, I don't have an addiction in my life to a substance. Let this message come to you and through you to a hurting world. Amen? Everybody say, to me and through me. Amen. Look at Proverbs 25, verse 28. This is why we're doing our sermon series, Hot Topics. By the way, on our Facebook page right now, I have a question post there. If you want to ask any question about this subject that I don't hit on while I'm preaching, because I'm going to look at the end at that Facebook page. This is why we're doing Hot Topics, because it's not being talked about. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Today, drugs and addiction is that hot topic. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks what? Self-control. They lack what? Self-control. Now, I want everybody to understand this. When you lack self-control, it is like the walls of your heart are broken down. Now, this does not just apply to drugs, alcohol, and chemical substances. If I was to preach a message to talk about self-control in all of its variety, I could talk about people who lack self-control in their sex life, walls come down, and they do things they regret. I could talk about people who lack self-control in their thought life, and they're depressed walking around with low self-esteem because the walls of their self-esteem have come down. So this really touches on... On a lot of subjects. So self-control is an important part of guarding your heart. Everybody say, guard your heart. But today specifically, I want to apply this passage of self-control to drugs and chemical addictions. Now this uh, proverb right here says that when you lack it, it's like the walls come down. Now I have a scar on my leg right here because I always put this leg up. It's the wrong leg. And by the way, what a great reason to wear shorts on Sunday, amen? So I can show you my scars. But here's a scar right here. I don't know if y'all can see it. It's right here on this side of my leg. Let Teen Challenge see. Check it out, baby. Y'all like that? All right, there's more of that where that came from, baby. You keep coming. No, I'm just kidding. Half kid. Okay. I got a scar on my leg. Why? I was 18 years old. We were drunk and uh, doing drugs, and my walls came down. And someone said, let's go break into gas stations out in the country. Nobody watches them at night. So my walls are down, and I was able to receive that stupid idea. So I go out with my friends to break into gas stations in the middle of the cornfields of Indiana. We get there. It's just a typical-looking gas station. We're trying to open the door. No one, you know, it's not opening. So we get bricks and start throwing them through the windows. 
We run and hide. No alarm goes off. So we come back. I try to slip through the glass. Obviously, I can't do that because it's jagged. So what do I do? What What does the guy with broken down mentality do? I go and kick the glass, try to kick it down. Well, the moment I did that, I slipped on the glass, and the glass went right up into my leg. Went right up into my leg and I had to pull it out. I was like, what is going on? I went and put my finger down here to feel it and my fingers went right into my leg. Then I took off my shirt like I was in Vietnam, tied it up, and I said to my friend, medevac me, get me out of here quick. So then we are, he drives me to the hospital, drops me off and leaves me there, and then I end up getting over 20 stitches on three different layers of my legs, and I have to limp and walk back to my house from that hotel place, because I had a hospital, because I had no money. See, once I became uh, broke, uh, once I lacked self-control, my mentality, my wisdom, my discernment, my common sense was broken down. Drugs and alcohol addictions break down common sense it will destroy your ability to think with wisdom the second story my sister at a bar over drinking was used to drinking and driving because her sense was gone as she was lacking self-control it's not that she was a dumb person but as she lacked self-control with alcohol and drugs it cost her her common sense she got in a car and drove 70 miles an hour on a 35-mile-an-hour road and could not take the turn fast enough, went right into a street lamp post, split her car in two, and died instantly. Now, was my sister able to drive? Absolutely. Did she know how to put the gas to the pedal and then put on the brake and take turns? Yes. But drugs and alcohol took away the walls of her common sense and her mentality. And that's what happens in addictions. That's what happens. It takes away people's common sense. It takes away their ability to reason. And so today as the church, we need to believe for the fruit of the Spirit, which is also self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness. And what? Self-control. We need to believe God for that. Come on, somebody say self-control. Let me give you some stats about drugs and addictions. You guys know it's an epidemic, but let me just put some numbers to it. These notes are online as well as Facebook as well. Over 57 million Americans, 22%, are addicted to cigarettes. Now, they know it's going to kill them. They've seen the commercials. They've seen the pictures of their lungs. They understand that they shouldn't be doing this. But what happened? Because they now lack control, the addiction has come. Their common sense, their walls have what? Gone down. So they don't stop. Now ask yourself this, those who are smoking and addicted to cigarettes, when you first tried that cigarette, whether you were in fourth or fifth grade, did you ever think it would be this hard to stop? No, because it lured you in. The addiction came on, not suddenly, but gradually. And over time, you found yourself addicted. And most people don't know they're addicted until they try to stop. And then they realize how little self-control they actually really have. I remember the first time smoking, I was 11 years old. I had no idea that this would become a habit by the time I was 18 years old, that I had to smoke a pack and a half a day. Just in five, six years, I was already hooked and addicted, and I couldn't stop. And I know friends that started with me when we were in fifth grade that are still smoking today, and they're like my age, and I'm 37. They've been smoking, some of them, for 20-plus years. 
Over 17 million Americans, six, uh, almost 7% of our population, have alcohol-related addictions. Now, we've talked in this church that moderation is an acceptable position in the Bible, but not for these people. For 7% of our population, they can't have a glass of wine at the dinner. They cannot just have a margarita as they're on vacation. One drink becomes 20 drinks and then passed out at the, uh, the god of the porcelain god as they're bowing down, puking up the rest of the night. I lived with an alcoholic. My one sister died drinking and driving, and my other sister is and was a functioning alcoholic. I had never seen that because I was brought up in a Christian home. I didn't know what it was like to be with a functioning alcoholic. I knew how we were. We would party, get drunk, be stupid, and sleep in, and just not have jobs and go rob people for money. That's how I lived. But it blew my mind that my sister would get up. Send her child child to school, go work her job, pay her bills, come home at night, fix dinner for her kids, and then get drunk and wasted the whole entire night, wake me up at all types of hours with crazy things to talk about, pass out, wake up, and do it all over again. Day after day after day after day. I watched her do that for eight months straight. A lot of people have alcohol addiction problems, and some of them are functioning alcoholics. Now, of course, what's coming on down the pipes, it's always been with us, marijuana, but now it's becoming legalized in certain states, and I know this is going to cause some debate with us here, but I want to talk about it because I believe this is a devil's lie. This is a Trojan horse. This is the devil's way to say, look, it's harmless, it's harmless. And then when we let down our guards and let this to become legal in our nation, we're going to see all these other drugs, and show the chart, please, we'll see all these other drugs follow right behind marijuana. Because anybody here that has done drugs will tell you, we all started with marijuana. Then it went to LSD. Then it went to cocaine. Then it went to heroin. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody say tell the truth. 4.3 million people are now dependent upon marijuana. Now, I'm just separating here medical marijuana for people who have a sickness or disease. I'm not talking about like, I have the black lung and now I need marijuana type sickness in California. No, I'm talking about there's real people that have sicknesses, cancer, and different things. And we'll understand the difference between medicinal uses and uh, recreational uses in a moment. But right now, 4.3 million people have a problem with marijuana. And then how about this one? The fastest growing one right now, 2.1 million people are addicted to pain pills. And some of the highest growth rate of this is in the middle class, working America, suburban, nice neighborhood people are getting addicted to their pain pills. Why? Because they let down their guard. They say, I deserve this. I'm raising my kids. I'm working hard. I'm paying my bills. I'm not going to a drug dealer down the road. You know what? I'll just take a little bit of extra Prozac. I'll just take some Valium. I'll get hooked up in my neighborhood with the rest of the people who go to this doctor that will give us these fake prescriptions or real prescriptions but for fake sicknesses and abuse pain pills. It's already growing in our culture right now. You would think with the wisdom that we have through the Internet and through all of the different programs and all of the different information, you would think people would be doing drugs less in our culture. Don't you think? People would be smoking less. People would be less of alcoholics. But if you go back to that scripture that we talked about last week and has been part of our, our series here, and look at just the, the notes here, 2 Timothy 4, it's up at the top. 
It talks about all of these things we need to do, preach and do all of this. But do you know why? Because in this same passage, it says that people will be lovers of themselves in the last days. So why are we dealing with so much drug and, and destructive behaviors when we're really smart about knowing it's bad? Because people really love themselves right now, and they love pleasure, and they're lowering down the guard. That's why we have to preach the word. Everybody say, preach the word. Thank you. Now, just go and put up that chart so we can just take a look at it. Marijuana, 4.3 million. Pain relievers, uh, two, uh, basically 2.1 million. Cocaine, tranquilizers, stimulants, heroin, hallucinogens, inhalants, and sedatives. Now, how many want to see what the Bible says about this? Amen. Do you think the Bible talks about this? Amen. I'm going to show you right now. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Somebody say there's an answer. Amen. I love hearing those Teen Challenge uh, testimonies. And I grew up in a church where we heard testimonies like that. And our church even starts off Sunday morning at 10 o'clock with testimonies like that. And I believe that this church and all the churches around America need to boldly preach this word to our community and hear these testimonies. Amen. From men, women, sons and daughters, old and young, we need to see our culture set free from the hold of drug addiction. Now watch this right here as you get some heavy revy. Somebody say it's a heavy revy. This is a heavy revelation about drug use. Because some people might say, well, pastor, doesn't Genesis talk about every seed-bearing herb is meant for our use? You know, pastor, I think Genesis says I can use herbs, you know. This is going to blow your mind right here if you think Jesus was Rastafarian. Here we go. Galatians 5.19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and you see an and there, idolatry and, what's the next word? Witchcraft, which in the Greek, listen to the word, in the original language of the New Testament is pharmakeia, pharmakeia. What does that sound like today? Pharmacy. See, when they put it in the English witchcraft, we run right through this and we make it synonymous with idolatry. So we say, okay, we're not supposed to worship Buddhas and statues and all that, and we're not supposed to go to witches and worship Satan. Okay, we get a read on. You know, we go right on. But we don't understand in the Greek culture what they are saying. It is a separate understanding here. One is worshiping a pagan god, taking on pagan teachings and follow them. Another one is taking potions, drinking of spells and hallucinogens and mind-altering drugs to practice religion. You know, the uh, Native Americans used to smoke peyote and dance around the fire and get revelations from their God, you know? And if you've ever done an hallucinogen, you would understand that's possible to see things when you're on an hallucinogen. Are you with me? So guess what? The Bible talks about drug use, but it does not paint this picture that our culture does. It paints it as witchcraft. Why? Because when you let down the walls, who are you now being influenced by? The devil. You have now become a part of his religion. Even that guy sitting back smoking weed, listening to Bob Marley saying, I'm not hurting anybody, dude. He is now a part of a satanic force. Because his spirit is not open 
to what God is saying, he's in sin. He is now open to what the devil is saying. Why is it when people smoke weed, do drugs, do heroin, they are always more easily influenced to do all these other negative things? The walls are down. Satan can clearly communicate to people's soul and spirit. You may say, Pastor, that's harsh. You're saying people who use marijuana are satanic? Absolutely. Not only are they satanic, they are influenced by Satan. Because you could just show up at a seance and just go, hey, hail Satan, I love you, and just walk out of there and play make-believe. But the moment someone does drugs, whether they're hanging out with Bill Maher or celebrities who do it, or whether they are listening to music or watching Pink Floyd movies, it doesn't matter. The moment they ingested the drug, they have become a part of Satan's realm. You understand? They are now in satanic realms. The Bible calls it witchcraft. Now you may say, Pastor, I don't believe that. Well, number one, I don't care what you believe. Okay? Let me just be very clear with you right now. I don't care what you do or don't believe. I care what the Bible says. Let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind... I'm going to wait for you to turn. I hear pages flipping. How many are ready to read this? Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. Is it okay if I get a little sassy, brother-ish? Amen. Yeah, baby, come on. Look at Revelation chapter. Does everybody know what Revelation's about? It's about unicorns and birthday cakes and birth. Is, is this is right what Revelation's about? Happy times? Smiling Jesus coming back on a, 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 my pony? One of those little pink ponies with the little rainbow colors coming out? Is this what Revelation's about? Look at what it says. The rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues. They still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons. See, in the end times, demons are actually going to start appearing like how angels have been appearing. In the end times, demons are, stop, are going to stop appearing as aliens, and they're going to start appearing as who they really are. That's a whole other subject of what's going on with the alien phenomenon. It's demons pretending to be something they're not. The Bible even says demons can take on the appearance of an angel, come as angels of light. So sometimes they will appear as your lost relatives, people you have buried, and now you think you're seeing grandma, your aunt, whatever. These are demons, and they're playing with you. But when the end times comes and we're in the time of tribulation, the demons are going to take off the mask. They have nothing more to hide. People are taking the mark of the beast they're worshiping him as a as a false god and demons are now going to appear and people are going to be worshiping them i've been to india and i've seen the images that they worship their mentality of how they worship those sick disgusting beings is very much rooted in satanism and i don't have time to get into animist religion you know you see those scary faces that people from villages will put on and then they'll worship the reason why they worship the crazy evil thing is so the crazy evil thing will be on their side and be crazy evil to their enemies okay so that's the deception so the idea is i worship the demon i know he's crazy he looks crazy but he's crazy on my side you know if, if i'm going to have anybody crazy in a fight, I want the crazy guy to be on my side, right? That, that, that's the mentality of the animist demonic religion, and I've been to India, and I've already seen it, how it influences people. So watch. 
They don't stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, idols that cannot see or hear. Now watch. Nor, this is extra. So they don't stop worshiping demons. They don't stop worshiping these idols, nor do they repent of their murders. And abortion is a big part of this. They're not repenting of killing their own children. That's a major part of this. They're magical arts. And guess what word that is, people? Pharmakia. So hold on. If you just say, well, you know, I love Jesus and I smoke weed. No, 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 no. You don't know what side you're on. You're a hypocrite for the devil. Not only you are a hypocrite for Christians' sake, you're a hypocrite of the devil. If you're going to smoke weed, don't call yourself a Christian. Call yourself exactly what you are. You're in the worshiping demon part of things. That's the line you just, you on right there. So either you worship Jesus or you worship demons. See, right now it's a little, it's a little bit fuzzy sometimes. Like Oprah Winfrey, I don't know if she worships demons. I don't know, you know. I don't know what she does. Ah, there's a gray area right here. I don't know. No, no, listen, you're either for him or you're against him. And in the end times, it's clear where you stand. In drug use, pharmakia, look it up. That's where we get the word pharmacy from. Right there and then is a part of the end time satanic worship. So why do you think when the drug culture came in in the 1960s, it was tied to sexual immorality, abortion, murder, and it was tied to idolatry? Why do you think so? Where did the drug use become popular in America in the 60s? Were they just smoking weed and being all peaceful? No, they started murdering their children. You see, you think they were about peace. No, that was just a facade. They started murdering their children. They started practicing abortion, infanticide. And then what did they begin to do? They began to worship idols. God stopped being the God of the 50s. You know when we put in God we trust on the dollar bill? We put that in the 50s. Do you know when most Americans were going to church in America? In the 50s. So the counterculture revolution that was led by drugs did what? turned people away from God. And then what happened in the music industry at that time? What were the Doors known for? What were the Beatles known for? What was Pink Floyd known for? What was Black Sabbath known for? What were these influential bands known for that still today people want to be like Ozzy Osbourne? Even now rappers will take on that same persona of that rock music that came out of the 60s. What was that about? Turning against God and turning towards the devil. And drugs broke down the walls. So you ain't going to stop going to church unless we break down the walls. You're not going to change your opinion on homosexuality unless we break down the walls. You're not going to be able to start murdering your children as a culture unless we break down the walls. So the devil with his demons, very wise strategist that he is, he infiltrates a generation with drugs. Obama did drugs. Bill Clinton did drugs. Most of political leaders in their college years did drugs. And even Bill, uh, Obama, President Obama said, it's really no different than cigarettes. Hello. And those people from the 60s who are now our leaders have been satanically influenced. And until they repent, until they repent, they are still on the wrong side. Now, what does the devil do after he infiltrates? 
And we'll talk about this when we get into the homosexual debate as well. When the devil infiltrates, he then begins to regulate and make it a normative behavior. So now kids who are growing up, listening to music, hearing about drugs, seeing what's going on in Colorado or whatever, are now seeing kind of like this normalization of this counterculture revolution that came in the 60s. And they don't understand that there actually used to be a time when there wasn't violence on the streets with dope-smoking gangbangers who most of the time smoke weed before they murder. Why? To break down the consciousness of their mind that says murdering people, lighting up a block and putting bullets all over the streets. Wrong. What did they do? Smoke weed, knock down the walls. You ain't talking to a pastor that doesn't understand. I used to carry a gun. I know people that shot people. I know how they smoke weed before they went out and did it. You talk to any game banger. Do y'all smoke weed before you get out there and shoot up a block? Of course we do. Of course we do. We get drunk. We smoke weed. Bow. See, they don't even understand where it came from. The devil has attacked our culture and that's why churches don't want to talk about it because they don't want to offend people and tell them where this demonic lie came from it is based in sorcery and witchcraft go to the notes number three now that i got your attention the greek word that is used for witchcraft and sorcery is pharmakia which means to administer drugs or spells and it's where we get the english word from pharmacy now, when you look at addictions, we move from drugs, and I, I got to make a clear distinction here. I'm talking about drugs and addictions. Everybody say, and addictions. So I want to be very clear here that I am not now saying if you're addicted to caffeine, you are worshiping demons. I do want to say that if you're smoking weed and mind-altering drugs. So I, I don't think I'm backing down from that, but I want to be very clear. Today's discussion is not just about illicit, illicit drugs that alter the mind. See, caffeine may give you a pep, and you could become addicted. Nicotine may do that as well, but it doesn't alter the mind. Marijuana and these other kinds of drugs all throughout history have been known to alter the mind. And if you don't know the difference, that's okay. Take a chemistry class, take a biology class, or just read your Bible again, okay? But it's obvious. Everybody, and sometimes people who are silly try to be like, oh, I, you, know, you know, I'm not going to stop smoking weed because somebody drinks coffee. If you don't see the difference between smoking weed and coffee, you have never smoked the right weed. Okay? If you think smoking weed is like drinking a cup of coffee, you need to get that Afghan kush and understand the difference. Okay? Because you, you've been smoking some bunk stuff. So I'm talking about what alters your mind, okay? Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? Yes, he said Afghan curse. You're like, <laughs> my pastor knows. Yes, he does. <laughs> what do you think I'm talking about? I lost a, sick, a sister to drink and drive. We got people whose lives have been lost. We're not playing. Are you listening to me? I'm not here to tell an ear-tickling message about drugs. I'm here to tell you the truth about drugs and addictions. Okay. So now that we've talked about drugs specifically, now there is another word that God gives us just about addictions. Now, there, there is an area that always comes up, alcohol. Which one is it? See, alcohol is actually blessed in the Bible, as we, did, we discussed in our sermon on alcohol. But alcohol can become an addiction when you abuse it. 
Okay, so I just want to make that difference. The Bible says that he gave us, you know, all of these things to enjoy. Alcohol was included. Marijuana wasn't. It's a very simple concept in the Bible. But now if you become addicted, let me just give you some of the popular ones. Come addicted to alcohol, nicotine, or caffeine. You can have these in moderation, but if you become addicted to them, you then can suffer the same way that the person who's addicted to drugs does. Does everybody get the correlation there? If you don't, ask a Facebook question, and I'll go through it at the end. But I just want to show you this, because here's 1 Corinthians six twelve. I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, what he says here, I have the right to do anything, that doesn't mean I have the right to go molest a child. or No, what he's saying here is anything is defined as God's commands that have called things good. So God has called these substances good, alcohol, medicine, these types of things. But if I now become mastered by what God called a good thing, now that thing has become my master. Does everybody understand the difference? Food is good. If it becomes my master, it's a bad thing. Coffee, alcohol can be good. It becomes your master. It becomes a bad thing. I do think nicotine kind of falls in the line there, but uh, there is no scripture against nicotine, and I'm not going to make up one. I would just say this. Somebody says, well, will you go to hell if I, will I go to hell if I smoke cigarettes? No, but you'll smell like you've been there, okay? And you'll go there uh, to heaven or hell a lot sooner than you ought to. And in this church, we want our leaders to be on a whole nother level. So join discipleship and get set free. And we have people in this church that have literally come to altars like this, crumbled up their cigarettes, stepped on them, and never smoked again because Jesus set them free. Amen. So here's how to look at it. Point five for clarification. Two sins, drugs, and addictions. A. Anytime a person uses drugs meant for medicine as a form of recreation affecting their sobriety, 1 Peter 5.8, they are committing the sin of witchcraft and sorcery, period. Next point about addictions. B, anytime a person becomes addicted to a lawful substance, something that the Bible says you can do or not do in moderation, tobacco, alcohol, caffeine, it is the sin of lacking self-control. So can tobacco become a sin? I believe it can if you become addicted to it. But if you know the American history, like I said, I'm not going to make up something just because I hate smoking. I'm not going to make it up. It's not in the Bible. If it's not there, I'm not going to tell you. So many of you who know American history, the Puritans, just listen to their name, Puritans. They were very pure. Guess what they loved to do? Drink some brandy and smoke cigars. And they were Christians. Charles Spurgeon, you ever heard of him? One of the greatest American preachers, also from Europe. You know, loved to have a cigar, loved to drink. What we're saying is we understand they weren't sinning. But if he became addicted to the alcohol, addicted to the tobacco, he was sinning. So to me, when does the cigarette become sin? When you become addicted to it. Now some people will say, well, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't smoke because it's always damn damaging, where alcohol can have temporary benefit. I understand. I see that difference. But if you go down that road, somebody then is going to show you a McDonald's hamburger, what it looks like in a microscope, and then say, look what you're eating, you know? So my whole thing, before we get into this battle of the temple of the Holy Spirit, let's just go to the clear scriptures of the Bible, okay? And that's where I just believe it says, when does smoking become a sin? When it's addicting. When does alcohol become a sin? When it's addicting. When does caffeine become a sin? When it's addicting. When does food become a sin? Gluttony. When it's addicting. I think that's the best place to take. Amen? Now, personal conviction is between you and the Lord. 
I hate smoking. To me, it's a sin because God said never for me to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. So everybody listening to me. And then for parents, you decide what's sin in your, in your house, you know? Like if, like if watching Pokemon's a sin. Ain't nobody watching Pokemon. You know what I'm saying? SpongeBob. He's a sin. No, ain't nobody watching SpongeBob, okay? So parents, you decide what's heaven and hell in your house. Amen? Praise God from whom all. Are you all glad you're in church today? Amen. Uh, Rachel, can I get you to come to the keys, please? That wasn't so bad. Y'all stuck around. Amen. We only lost about five people that walked out during that message. No, I'm kidding. I don't know what they had to go, but I don't know. Hey, I'm still here. Amen. That's the thing. I was here before you came. I'll be here after you leave. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. I don't mean to be sassy, but you know. And here's my thing. We started off a lot smaller than we are right now. Amen? So we started off with four people in the home Bible study. God's been blessing. Amen? But you know when God blesses, the devil messes. So I picked my side. And you know the thing about me and Teen Challenge? I was there for many years. Uh, recently, we've handed it over to Jared and others and Steve. And, oh, man, I just get so much love out of being around guys like yourself. It just reminds me of where I've come from. And it reminds me how God is good to bring me where I'm at. So if my testimony can encourage you, just understand that what he's done for me, he'll do for you. And every day uh, I walk in his grace. So, you know, it's like the old saying goes, one day at a time. So how does a drug addict get set free? He gets set free one day at a time. And some days you got to live one minute at a time, you know, one second at a time. I'm just trusting you, Jesus. I'm just trusting you, Lord. I remember one time, it, it was funny because weed and all that wasn't a problem, but you know, I have a fast personality. So like cocaine became a big deal to me. And, um, Cigarettes and cocaine just went in a weird combo that I just loved. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but it was my thing, okay? But I remember being one time um, on the floor of my bedroom, just weeping, saying, God, I, I have so many desires to go out and do this right now. You know, I'd have been saved a few months, and it's like it was hitting me so hard. It was almost like the devil knew, like, this was going to be the last major battle, because from that time forward, like, you know, I went to Bible college and all that. So he knew, like, if we're going to stop him, let's stop him now because there's a destiny for him as a leader, right? So the devil knew my future because he knew God planned things. So he's like, let's stop him now. And I was just praying, and it felt like a bucket, a barrel of temptation. You know, we talk about we feel God's glory on us sometimes, but it just felt like a bucket of ooky, this temptation was poured on me. And literally, I just was shaking. People might have called it withdrawal, but it was like, two months afterwards, so I don't know. It just felt like it was literally a spiritual attack. And I had saw a dream just a few nights before of a version of me, but a demonic version of me at my bathroom window knocking to try to come in. And like God was telling me, your past is trying to come back. Those demons you left behind are trying to come back. Most people in the church don't even know I had dreams like that because I don't talk about it much. But I was on that floor, and literally it was just moment to moment trusting God. And God literally said this to me. Here was his one step to me. This is what he said. He said, Joe, if you don't ever touch it, if you like the apple, the, you know, the fruit, don't go there, don't eat that fruit. Like he literally just put it in this, as simple as he did with Adam and Eve. He just told me, Joe, if you don't touch it, I'll set you free. So the idea was 
Just I don't touch it. And the desire here, even though it felt like it wasn't going to go away, even though it felt so strong, even though it felt like I just couldn't even breathe anxiety, as I resolved to say, God, okay, I won't touch it, he then took that addiction away. And it literally like snapped and broke over my life in that prayer meeting. And I just want to encourage you, gentlemen, some days may be like that. But the word God gave me is if we're faithful to stick on our knees in prayer, he'll take that addiction no matter how real it feels at the moment, no matter how powerful it feels, no matter how much it feels like it's giving us that identity. That's not who we are. And I say that to everybody here. Amen. This is what Jesus said. John 8, 31 through 36, to the Jews who had believed in him. How many believe in Jesus? Can I get an amen? Listen to what Jesus said. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. I didn't even know that verse, but this is how God was explaining. If you just hold on to them, you'll be my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I want you to understand, they tried to argue with Jesus. They say, we're Abraham's descendants. I don't drink that much. I don't party that much. And they tried to make excuses, say, we've never been a slave. But then he said in verse 34, verily I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So not only for those in addiction sense are you a slave to sin, but Mother Teresa, if she did not repent, was a slave to sin. Mahatma Gandhi, if he did not repent, was a slave to sin. If the Pope does not repent, he is a slave to sin. Everybody without Christ is a slave to sin, even if that sin is self-righteousness and pride thinking you have no sin. They argued with him, and he said, no, you don't understand this. You sin, you become a slave to sin. Now, here's the point, friends. Sin, it's just not about bad things. Like God says, no, I just don't want you to do this bad thing because I don't like bad things. No, God understands that sin keeps you out of his presence, and he's a lover of your soul, and he wants to love you like a father and bring you into his presence. So he knows that a slave has no place in the family. You choose your sin over God, you'll have no place with God. My friends, there is a hell. And the sad truth is that drug addicts who've suffered here will suffer there for eternity. Those who were slaves here will suffer forever there. But he says, but a son belongs to the Father forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's four steps to freedom. It's real simple. It's number one all the way, but I'll break it down a little bit more. Number one, believe in Jesus. Receive your salvation. Number two, be that committed disciple that holds to the teachings of Jesus. Number three, allow the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to set you free and live the rest of your life free in Christ free in Jesus no shackles no bondages no addictions we are free in Christ it is for this reason that Jesus Christ came for freedom Woo! hallelujah let's stand to our feet come on give Jesus one more hand clap of praise come on Jesus is Lord today Jesus we love you Lord Woo! Hallelujah! How many are thankful for drug addictions being broken by the power of the Holy Spirit? For any addiction being broken by the love of God? 
It's the love of God that compels me to preach this way. You might say, Pastor, you offended me, my uncle, and my cousin. Listen, it wasn't my intent just to offend. But if I did, that's okay. I'd rather offend your mind and open your heart than speak uh, soft words to your mind and leave your heart and soul in bondage. But it wasn't about that. It's about love. I love you. This church loves you. We brought Teen Challenge here because we love you. Jesus loves you. Come on, somebody say, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Come on, say it like you believe it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I brought in over 30 homeless men into my house from drug addictions, transvestite, people with AIDS. Oh, I've seen Jesus set them free in my living room, just like he set me free. Praise God. Here's some questions from Facebook just in case they thought I didn't cover it. Let me go through it real quick. What happens if a person is allowed to use medicinal marijuana for a non-terminal disease? What category do you feel that falls into? Now, before I answer this, I preached what I thought a pretty good message on this. Is this a debatable issue, really, using drugs for medicine? I don't think that's a debatable issue. If I'm doing a mind-altering drug for medicine, I have not said I am now doing this for myself and feelings and all of that. Heroin is used or morphine and people use it. What is the difference is your mindset. Now, I want to speak to everybody here, not the person who just asked the question because I think her intent is right, but I just want to speak to everybody here. If you want to use this as an excuse... I'm telling you, you're trying to play God like he's dumb. There is a difference. My child right now, my child, around 10, 15, busted his teeth in the back, and my wife had to take Lucas to Resurrection Hospital. One of the texts I just got is they gave him some pain medicine. Does everybody understand the difference between using pain medicine and going out and getting drunk or going out and abusing drugs. If you don't know the difference, I don't want to just debate right now with you. I want to talk to you about your common sense. So it's okay if, if this is a hot topic to you, but every pastor generally is going to tell you the same thing. It's not if we use medicine. That's not what God talked about. The Bible talks about medicine. What sorcery is called there is not just using medicine. It's using medicine to alter your mind. And like I said, from marijuana to pain pills, if you don't know that it's altering your mind, you're not doing the right stuff. Get your money back. And I should just say throw it away, right? Amen. Amen. What would be the best way to minister to people addicted to drugs? Just what we did right here. Bring them to church. Let them hear the word. Let it offend them and get them upset a little bit, but let them get free. Amen. And if you have a family member like, like I do and, and you have friends in your life, just tell them the truth. Just tell them, say, Jesus did not make that for you to abuse it like that. Jesus made your mind to be sober. And I didn't have time to get into it, but we're supposed to have a sober mind. That's why drunkenness is bad. And let me just explain this. When I drink, I don't become drunk. When I smoke marijuana, I become high. There is no moderate use of drugs and pain pills. That's why it's meant for what it's meant to do. If it doesn't do that, then it's bunk. They don't sell it. Are you with me? 
So drinking in moderation, having food in moderation, is not doing it with the same intent. So the idea is here, if you have a friend that's pleasure-seeking and open themselves up to the devil, we need to give them Jesus. Tell them Jesus loves them, forgives them, and will set them free. And you know what? I was very argumentative, too. With I, when I had weed in my pocket and I was at my mom's kitchen table the day I got saved, I tried to argue. And you know what she just said? I don't care about any of that. I just know you need Jesus. Get him in your life right now, and he'll explain the rest. Okay? So people are like, oh, no, I know. I want to do Valium and still love Jesus. Let's get Jesus in your heart. Let's let God tell you what Valium's really doing to you. Okay? Let's get Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit. Let the walls get built back up, and then you'll know that you've been invaded. Amen? Just let this thing about this in closing, because we all need common sense in here, please. Because I don't think too many of you are high right now, all right? Y'all sober right now? Y'all hearing me? Amen. Listen to me. Come on. You can hear me, right? Y'all got your walls right now. Build up. Listen to me. If we all go to a park and start saying people are trespassing on our little uh, part of the beach or whatever, we're crazy. That's a public, that's public ground. But if y'all start just walking in or people from all the streets start walking into my house, I'm going to say, you trespassing, right? Nobody invited you. This is how we're to look at our soul and spirit. We're not just supposed to let anything into our life, any substance into our life, any idea into our life, any music into our life, any TV show into our life. We're supposed to have the Word of God built up as a 360 wall of defense. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you, build up the walls and live free. Let's pray. Altar workers and band, would you come? I feel Jesus in here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, would you just love on him right now? I feel freedom. I sense the lover of our souls in here beckoning some of you to come and get free. With every head bowed and eyes closed right now, remember I said there's two groups of people I was going to be preaching to. The first one, those who needed to be free, and the other ones who needed this message to help others get free. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to speak right now to that first group of people. If you're here and you're either addicted to cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, something that is taking over the walls of your life, laying it down, making you susceptible to addictions... I want to ask you to come forward in just a moment for us to pray for you because we believe that chains will be broken off of you. But before you come forward, I want you to confess what you want Jesus to set you free from. So right now, if you're here and you've been either using drugs illicitly or you've been addicted to a substance and you want Jesus to set you free, would you ask the Lord to do so right now? Just right where you're standing. Come on. I want to do that with you right now so you'll know it's not just about us praying for you. It's not just about you coming to a priest or coming to church. It's really about you and God. Come on, if that's you, just say, Jesus, set me free from alcohol addiction. Set me free from drugs and marijuana. Set me free, God, from smoking. Set me free, Jesus. Come on, right now, 30 more seconds. I'm praying for you as you're getting real with God. Lord, I pray no one in here leaves out the same way they came.
I pray everyone here, God, who's been addicted, they will be set free. I don't care if it's 20 or just two. Whoever they are that's been addicted, I pray today it stops. That today it's a new day. Before we lose more people like my sister, uh, our friend's brother, before we lose more to this wicked addiction, this wicked substance, Lord, I pray you set them free today. Before someone dies, God, of lung cancer and suffers the penalty of nicotine, Lord, I pray you set them free. Amen. Now, number two, if this is not for you, but it's supposed to go through you, and you know somebody in your life that this message is for, would you pray for them right now? Come on, you should know somebody. Everybody should be praying. Brother, would you just put my mic up a little bit, please? Come on, 30 seconds, pray for somebody in your life. There's Teen Challenge folks sitting on this front row because somebody prayed for them. Who do you know in your life right now that's been abusing drugs, using alcohol the wrong way? Pray for them right now. Come on, pray for them. This is not a library. It's a church. The Bible says prayers are befitting in this place. Who wants to intercede? Who wants to name out their friend's name, their mom's name? I used to get high with some of my friends' parents. Come on. Who wants to keep it real today and pray for their parents, pray for their brothers, pray for their neighbors? Jesus, Jesus, set my sister free, Lord. Set her free, God. Set my nephews free, God.